guys. Welcome to the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at Fambolt. Uh, my name is Shikai Mickelson. I'm the creative director of AtlantaMovieTours.com. <laughs> it's so funny that you emphasized the move part of that, because uh, that was going to be my original moving company name. It was like Smooth Movers. Oh, yeah. We talked about that yeah. last week. It was yeah. uh, for, for older people. Yeah, and then they, they canceled on me, so... <laughs> Oh, that's always good. Hey, we're going to help <laughs> yeah. you move. Yeah, today's not good for us. Sorry. Yeah, today doesn't work. Just, uh, so, yeah, now I got a normal moving company. That's that's helping tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> a normal one versus normal old, one. which is not normal. Those not weird normal. old people judging me while they gum their food. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Um, yeah, so... We have a, an interesting show today, and I'm totally surrounded by boxes and furniture in the midst of this move while doing this podcast. So by the time this uh, podcast drops, I will, I will probably be freaking out, <laughs> nice. realistically. Something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but we have uh, something super, super cool today. We have my interview and... Uh, a little bit of information for my set visit to Stranger Things in February. I can finally talk about it. I know I've been teasing it for, for a lot of episodes now. And uh, we have an interview with the Duffer brothers, uh, Matt and Ross Duffer, who are the creators of the series. And then, of course, we have some box office results from the weekend, a review of Secret Life, and then a well, it's secret. Is it just called Secret Life, or is it called I, Secret Life of Pets? It's called Secret Life of Pets, but... You, yeah. Okay, I was just curious because I was like, wow, maybe that's like actually what it's called. No, Never mind. I'm okay. just, I'm not super in love with it. So I'm just, <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert for Oh, no. Section. All right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we have that coming. Um, and then we have a, a guest review, which I'll let you tease a little bit. <laughs> well, we, uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Lights Out, which is, uh, we, Atlanta Movie Tours was invited to, a uh, happy hour event that included free booze and a screening of the film. And at the last second, I wasn't able to make it. So we're going to bring in Carrie Burns, uh, my colleague and the founder of Atlanta Movie Tours, to offer her insight. The first ever, I think, guest Atlas review will that be. It's exciting stuff. It's very exciting. <laughs> new ground, new territory. I like it. <laughs> Constantly innovating. <laughs> the Atlas. So how was your weekend? Do you have a good weekend? Oh, well, you know, I'm not quite moving, but it's, it's, I gosh, I don't know. I feel like I am because on one hand, uh, Mandy's due date or our due date is Saturday. And, oh, wow. and we're also running around like crazy because, uh, here's what's hilarious. Uh, the due date is the 16th and our, our realtor is trying to close on the house we've been renovating on the 18th, but th nothing's quite done yet. So it's just been this like crazy stretch of trying to, get all the stuff and it's such a dumb first world problem but it's weirdly stressful to try and pick out and go pick up tile for what's going to be your forever home and to try and to design what your forever home is going to look like in like three days with a very pregnant woman that's uh that's kind of that's a real problem that's not a that's, first world problem that's kind of a lot it's been <laughs> kind lot. of a lot we've had some like emotional breakdowns over vanities so it's pretty ridiculous, though, when you say it like that, but it just feels like so much. But we do officially have a bassinet in the, in the room we're staying in, so that makes it real. I know how to put a, uh, a baby chair inside of a car. Got that all figured out. So, Well, oh. congrats. Home stretch. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. And now all my wife has to do is uh, push that thing out and, uh, you know, happily ever after, right? No problem. <laughs> You're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else to worry about ever again. <laughs> uh, if life was only that simple. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're right in the thick of the move. We're like in this weird preparation for move and and See, other I, things. I would find something oddly like awesome, awesomely calming about the idea of moving into a forever home because what I'm facing now is me packing up all of my crap and being like, I'm going to have to do this again at some point. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, because Mandy and I, we've moved a lot. You know, we lived in San Diego and then we had a place in L.A. And then now we're out here in Atlanta and we're staying with my friend. And before that, we were living in Castleberry. So we, we've moved a lot. And even before San Diego, I lived in quite a few places. So it's this is actually really exciting for us. So I agree. I but but it's also like. 
Oh, there's, listen, between you, me, and our entire listening audience, there's no way this house is going to be ready on the 18th. There's just no chance. <laughs> well, there's no way all my stuff is going to be ready to move tomorrow Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. So, well, things Same are going page. well. Yeah, so, so your weekend was obviously nice and relaxing. Yeah, just boxing up everything that I own. <laughs> so... Home stretch. That's uh, after we finish recording. I'm gonna get back to it, and hopefully, I'll I'll make some progress tonight. That uh, seems not doable right now, but fingers crossed. Theme theme music of some kind. That's all exactly. you need. Just a little theme music. Exactly. Um, but yeah, let's let's hop right on into uh, Stranger Things. I actually finished. Um, Last Thursday, I finished watching the complete first season. Uh, Netflix had it up on their viewing room, and I, oh my God. So I was like dying for like episodes four through eight because I had seen the first three that they had released earlier in June, and then they released the rest of them for press earlier this month. And I know that I have like built everyone's expectations up to be so huge with us, but <laughs> this show does not let you down. Like it's, it is literally like everything you love about genre movies from the eighties. It's, it's the kids are incredible. The friendship is legit as someone that's been on set and interviewed them. Um, they're all like that in real life. They're all best friends in real life. And, um, you know, I was I've been mentioning this to a couple other people cuz I've been transcribing these these interviews I did while I was on set and I was looking up their their Twitter and their Instagram accounts for, you know, everything that we're going to be pushing out to tag them in. And these kids, like I think one of them maybe had 41 followers on Twitter and the rest of them had like 12. And their lives are going to change on Friday. It's it's I just, I can't wait to see it. They're such good kids and they're so new to all of this. Like none of the kids are, they've been in like little things here and that here and there, like guest spots on the 100 or the blacklist, or, you know, some of them has have done a little bit of Broadway work. But other than that, these kids are all brand new to this world. Right. So, um, and they're just so authentic and, and such great, great kids. Um, yeah, and they really make the show. They really, really make the show. But everything about it is so amazing. And I, I I know you've got a lot of stuff coming up, but as soon as you get to watch all eight episodes, <laughs> we have to like totally geek out about this because oh, it's so good. I can't wait to be able to talk to people about it. No, I'm actually very excited uh, based on what you've described because it's kind of right in my sweet spot, you know, kind of being a kid that mostly grew up well. I don't know. I'm, I'm like a kid of 80s, 90s, late 80s, 90s. So I guess that makes me a kid of the 80s. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to define it because I was I was three when the 80s began. So <laughs> I don't know. But I was also still pretty young when the 90s began. Anyways, like the Goonies, um, you know, all the, my mom was a big horror movie fan. So I saw every horror film way before any kid ever should. Yeah. Like Freddy Krueger way before. But then weirdly, I was like a huge fan. So I, it's like this weird contradiction I have of like being, I was scared to death of him as a kid, but I still wanted to see it. <laughs> it's like yeah, weird. It, yeah. No, exactly. It's, um, you know, I, I've told people countless times how much Poltergeist, you know, oh, just, yeah. just messed me up as a kid. And even now I can't watch like the fuzz on TV. Like it just freaks <laughs> me out. And But it's also one of my favorite movies for that reason. Like it's it's it was so formative for me, you know, seeing it at that age and just being traumatized by it, but also loving it. Like it's it was it is a weird thing. It's a very a, weird thing. A very healthy, just absolute fear of trees brought to me by that film. I think that's totally fair. I, yeah. And I think I think that's true for many. But oh, my goodness, that tree. We had an old tree when I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, that looked eerily similar to that thing. Luckily, it wasn't <laughs> by my window. But every time we walked by, I was like, that tree, any minute, it's coming Any for minute. Us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it. Um, well, let's go ahead and dive into to our interview with the Duffer Brothers. Um, I was on set with two other journalists that day. Um, there was a gentleman from Dread Central and a gentleman from IndieWire there as well. So you'll hear them in this uh, this little interview clip as well. Uh, but here is here is our interview with Matt and Ross Duffer on location with Stranger Things. We we love 
genre movies we love supernatural things but uh, you know with film it's very hard in two hours they you know they no longer want you to focus on character and stuff and then on television we were seeing all these great stories about character and whatever and you know the child in us is like can it be that but also with a monster in it and so that's that was sort of the genesis of like can we make like an A-level show and then also play into our sort of our childhood fantasies and so that was that was really and it felt like there was an opening in genre you know, but still genre t- and then but TV even the great stuff it, to us there were a few shows that were cinematic but then I think it was we saw the True Detective trailer and what Carrie Fukunaga was doing and we saw what Soderbergh were do- was doing now that we're comparing ourselves to those guys but we're seeing that you can you're, these shows were becoming more and more cinematic that it wasn't only about the writing that it was about the visuals and then we started getting excited about it and, but then we were like nope we know nothing about television, so I, I, we didn't had no idea how to do this, and then so we had this idea, but we weren't doing anything with it. Then, like two weeks later, we got a call um, about Wayward Pines. We've never gotten a call about television in our lives, and we're like, well, we'll just do that. We'll learn the ropes, and so we did that, and sort of figured the whole thing out, and then we wrote this, this on spec. Nice, very nice. And then Netflix was just, it was just. Good time. I mean, we did a little lookbook, we did a little trailer for it, and then we just you know, pitched it around. But we never in a million years expected Netflix. We're not David Fincher. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? I was not. They weren't like the Duffer Brothers no. coming in. No. Yes. You know, <laughs> but, but they. Li- I think it was what they were looking, you know, it was something that they were looking, looking for, and they liked the pilot. I mean, the goals, we thought we saw an opening, something that hadn't, wasn't being done. And there is genre stuff like The Walking Dead, but it's um, this is this is a, this is different in a lot of ways. It's trying to pay more homage to those the movies we grew up loving in the you know '80s and the late '70s. Yeah, so. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to film here in Georgia? Um, I think it was well, for, well for, we're from the South, so we're movies that we loved growing up. It's like there was something at least when we were kids that we instantly related to these, you know, the characters, all these people, and then something extraordinary happened, and it just blew our minds, and so... But there's, a, I think there's so goal. much, in, I mean, there's so much different, so many different looks here. So we were able to like, get that look, you know, and I know Prisoners was another big one that shot here, that inspired us when we watched it. Uh, that was another one of, one of many things that sparked this idea. Um, and just that the atmosphere of it and the trees. I think it more is like, oh, this is like that kind of looks like where we grew up. Yeah. And you wanted yeah. it to be like, like even this to feel this like force. It's like I just remember, you know, with our friends just marching, you know, leaving our houses and marching in the woods and going on an adventure. And we but really we've like a, we've been on a couple that. of things in Vancouver, and it was like something about it feels off to me. But I think it's more just because I didn't grow up in that environment. It almost looks too beautiful. In a way, so it's like I don't know. There's something ordinary about this place that I love. I don't know. And it's great. I mean, the people. The and crew the crew is amazing. amazing. And the um, yeah, the crew's great. They've got a great base of actors. So I don't know. We've had a lot. Of, we've had a lot of fun here. <laughs> How's it been working for Netflix? It's awesome. It's amazing. I mean, the amount of freedom they give like mm-hmm. us is insane. You yeah, know I figured I mean? that would be the case. Yeah, just, uh, just support, and they want to do something different. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not given the notes. That uh, that I feel that you know, traditional. You know, well, I think you just kind of like you in, in the initial meeting. You know, you kind of agree. Everyone agrees on what they want the show to be, and then so right. They then like, then mo- and they, then moving forward, they don't contradict it, and you don't contradict it. Yeah, and if you ever do, or they ever do, then you, there's comp- but there never is because everyone comes in. Like they, I think a lot of other networks and stuff, they buy shows and then they try to mold it into. What they want it to be, as opposed to Netflix's idea, is just why don't we just buy what we like right away and then just make it? Because it's like the scary things about stuff in the show or stuff in other other shows that they do that might scare certain companies away. To them, they embrace. Whereas this, it's for instance, it's you know we have kids in it, but they're also there are real stakes and there's you know no, but there are kids in it, but it's not lines. It's not for only for kids it's it's hopefully for everyone but i think that you know maybe a network might be more apt to just want to make if it's for with kids in it it's for kids or if it's in that we got a lot of that when we start, first started pitching the producers and we're like it's no. like can't it just be about the sheriff or if you're gonna have kids in it can it just be the kids mm. right so it's just a, so it's either just a kid audience right. or it's just an adult but i audience. remember when i was a kid i could feel 
when stuff talked down to me, when it was like, oh, we're making this safe for you, whereas the stuff we responded to, whether Stand By Me or whatever, felt real, and I understood these people, and they reacted in ways that I believed. It didn't feel like adults writing kids. It just felt like kids behaving as kids do, and so that's that's at least what we're trying to do with this. So it's more like you're actually making art and, as opposed to making a product. Yeah, we're, trying to, so. we're just yeah. trying to believe, and it's hard. You're putting these kids in these extreme circumstances and we're trying to have them react in believable ways. It's not just about them having fun and goofing around. It's about them, you know, their tears and, you know, it, it gets intense. But the idea is, like, if a kid is watching, like, if kids do watch it, then it feels edgy. That they you know, it feels to edgy to them because it's, it doesn't, it feels like, because we basically feel like we're trying to make it for ourselves or something that appeals to us. Mm -hmm. But then I like the idea that some, a kid could watch it, and it feels like adult entertainment with kids that they relate, you know, their age that they relate to. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Could you talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. the specific tone that you guys are trying to strike? Like, I know this, the, yeah. it's, a, it's a period piece in the yeah. 80s, yeah. Um, but is it going to be, are you going to have, like, references to specific movies? No. Or is it more just the feeling of those? It's more the feeling. I mean, there's certain stuff, I'm sure people will notice things that were... You know, are certainly inspired, but the, uh, the more the important thing for us was just—it's not like trying to lay lay Easter eggs for a bunch of people to find. It was more about that tone, which is <laughs> characters that you love and you care about going on these. But there was something adventures. very sincere about those movies. That's, it was—they weren't like they never winked at you. So like, I don't—we didn't want to do that. So no. it felt like it's very played very straight. This it's is, fun, but like the fun comes from like real play. So it's not. Um, so I don't know. It's more capturing how those movies made us feel than trying to like remake one of those movies. Um, so I don't know. I know we tried to we yes. try to be very, you know, straightforward with yeah. Not the we're not. We're trying not to be cute or overdo it or make it actually even feel too eighties. I mean, even if you look at stuff like ET, there's this to me. Even watching it now, it feels really feels timeless and it's trying to capture this it's not this is not the Goldbergs where you're like really playing into that 80s thing I mean to us it was more about we wanted that Cold War environment we wanted that idea of kids where your parents are not tracking you on a GPS you know what I mean or they can call you on a cell phone writing horror is so much better when you don't have cell phones They'll, you know you don't have to go oh, so it's those out. little things <laughs> I mean but I hope that people just sort of forget the period aspect of it it's fun but that's not that's not really the point. I mean, I like the kids on walkie-talkies, and that, I mean, that stuff is all great. The analog aspect of it, and aesthetically, it's great, but we're trying not to be, we're trying not to be too cute about it. Um, just trying to focus on the story. Can you talk a little bit about the supernatural element to it, and what people can expect with that? Yeah, I mean, it's not like, we try not to be too heavy with it, you know? I mean, it's kind of like a sprinkling of it every episode. Because just because, we, you know, I always feel like, the, you know, we talked a lot about the less you see, the better. And then so we, like, we actually built a monster, and that way, you know, you can't shoot it very much. Because if you look at it, we watched Alien a lot, I mean, in preparation for this, and you very rarely see it. And when you do, it's only, it's really in close-ups. And I remember reading an interview, you know, where Lee Scott is, like, on the set, they were going why aren't you, you know, we built this expensive thing, why aren't you filming it? But it's so much scarier because you're only seeing pieces of it and little bits of it. So we're trying to do it as old school as possible. And then, you know, also this is an eight-hour event and we're, we try to structure it as much like a, a big film as possible unless like a TV show. It's not, it's, it's very, it's ramping up and building to this climax that happens really in eight where everything goes crazy but before that it's just a little more a little more a little more a little more until it reaches this so like the first episode is like just a sh you know shadow and noises and then you know and then the idea is you get to see a little bit more and a, a little, little bit more, more yeah until it you know until it builds so it's more like an undercurrent of supernatural it's not <clears throat> um, but we want it when yeah, it hits yeah, yeah. when it hits to I mean the goal is when it hits that it has impact so you're waiting for it and usually in every episode there's something big that happens but when it does um, hopefully it feels like there, there are actual stakes to it because it really again it's just it's like if the kids in Sam by Me are just for most of the show they're just talking and you know you know, hopefully coming of age, and then every once in a while you hit them with this stuff. I mean, even if you look, Steven, I mean, Spielberg was obviously a big reference, but Stephen King was also one, and that he really, it's really about, if you look at his work, his his best books, it's really about the evil of, 
evil of man and what that is. And the and the horror is always just representative of something else. So that that's hopefully what it is that it's bringing out all these problems in these characters. But it's not really about the monster, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So we have a it's just a of, catalyst. We've got a little bit of it in there too. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's well, that was the idea. It was like oh, because TV you can kind of. I thought we could struck. You can't do well. I guess they're doing it now. As yeah, a movie. it's finally off. <laughs> I know. It's like after like fifteen Ten years. years of yeah. Like, but the idea is that you could structure it. It could be almost because like TV almost feels more like reading a book or something in a way because you can pick it up and put it. I like Netflix because it's like it's available to you all at once, like a book is, and you can pick it up and put it down whenever you want. So the idea of like, oh, could we construct this so it felt like. You then, wanted to feel like, oh, I'm like 13 years old and I have one of those like big Stephen King books and I'm reading it. Like, that's the goal. So you could evoke even like a little bit of that feeling. That'd be awesome. I mean, in that miniseries, though, it's, it does hold up great, but as a kid, it was terrifying. Yeah. It really terrified me. Yeah, it freaked us out. So, I mean, I'm hopefully we'll terrify some 12 year olds with this. That's, that would be great. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting point yeah. because of like some of the references you made as well yeah. as just the general idea yeah. of making something scary mm-hmm. that everybody can watch. Yeah. How do you gauge that? Is there a limit that you put on yourself of like, well, that's that's too scary. Like, that's too much. That's going to be too much for, you know, younger audiences or whatever. Or do you just... We just trust, we just trust it. Yeah. I mean, but again, I think if it's not playing into the gore factor, right. do you, I think that it's... And again, it's not constantly hitting you over the head with this stuff. So I think that, you know, it's a fine line for sure. You want to scare. You want to scare uh, the twelve-year-olds who are watching this. But uh, like, there was something when I was watching it as a kid, like that felt or Poltergeist. There was something dangerous about it. Like maybe I shouldn't be watching this. Well, and that's the and thing. So, we want it to feel like these kids are in are actually in danger. That it's not safe. Because that when we were watching stuff as kids, that's what really spoke to us it's like but oh, even like Goonies I mean they you know they shove his hand in a blender you know there was something it was scary to me so we're certainly so, gonna we're pushing it but I think because it's not the horror is not it's not about the violence that I think will be I mean it's not like Clyde Barker like no, hooks no, aren't no, going no. into people's skin <laughs> <laughs> yes no there is a little Clyde Barker in it, a little bit well you know we love Carpenter it's not disgusting things, yeah but, uh, it's like, like, like the trailer we made was like oh it was a hybrid of, uh, it was, I mean, it had, the, like, it had a bunch of John Carpenter and Wes Craven and E.T. and Stand By Me and Nightmare on Elm Street. And then it was all scored to John Carpenter. And it was like, oh, when we put John Carpenter on E.T., I was like, this is sweet. Like, this is kind of the tone. Well, because I e. feel that worked really well. Well, E.T. is, you know, it's pretty scary. You know, a lot of it is, especially that first stuff. And so when we put... So when we saw those tones all sort of come together, it sort of felt like it, it merged as one. It didn't feel like disparate. Because we kind of have a three gen. We have teens and we have kids and then we have adults. So we and always, so the like, te- the very basic thing is the kids are more on that, you know, Stand By Me or Goonies kind of uh, coming-of-age story. And the teens are in more of a, if it is like Nightmare on Elm Street, sort of that sort of 80s horror, horror John Carpenter or Wes Craven uh, storyline and the adults are more like Spielberg where it's like they're more in denial about what's going on and they slowly come to realize that Close Encounters thing a little bit that's like the very like rough it's not exactly like that but that's how we thought about it when we first came up with it these three storylines and then making sure tonally that they'll they but when we did that trailer which I thought was like a cheesy idea when our agent suggested it but then you did it and you're like oh this it made me feel better that the show would maybe work because I thought they intertwined pretty well yeah the three things, but, but it was it was coherent. I was but like, I think oh, this the is thing be is like because they're actually show. all sort of doing, they're all doing the same thing in a lot of ways in terms of that these are, they ultimately are just about characters and they are just and very people. real. Like even like I mean Halloween is about oh it's such an ordinary looking neighborhood with ordinary people experiencing something, you know, extraordinary and scary. And it's the same. So yeah. it actually all works together pretty well. That's the fun thing about TV. You have so, just have so much more room to sprawl out. That was nice because when we were writing, trying to you know writing features and stuff, you just have you realize how little room that you have. And if you're doing a horror, it's like you have to hit, you know, if it's sort of like it's a comedy, you got to get a certain number of laughs a minute 
for that test screening or or you've got to get hit a certain number of scares mm. you know or people won't be satisfied or at least the studios think they won't be satisfied like a horror movie has to just be horrific from beginning to end but if you look at the shining or rosemary's baby or anything like that it's much more about characters and tone than it is about you know stupid jump scares which to me as a horror fan i just i'm totally jaded it doesn't interest me anymore. You know what I mean? It, it gets really boring. Me, right? It gets really boring after yeah. you're like over the age of 13. Yeah. <laughs> like the jump scare. Like I went through the horror phase, me. yeah, when we were like thir- you know, you know, 13, 14, 15 and you're like, okay, I get it. I've seen it done. So you want something more artful mm-hmm. at a certain point. Not that we won't do a couple. Of course. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with a good jump scare. It's yeah, just yeah. if it's every three minutes it can get, you know, a little old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you strike that balance of pleasing genre fans, you know, like like my readers are. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're going to look... It, it's so hard yeah. to really nail that down of who's... Yeah. Who are you going to please the I most? know. I have no idea. <laughs> we don't know. We're just... I mean, the goal... When we wrote this, it was not calculated. It was just... We were just writing what we, what we really wanted to see. We saw some... We, like, they... The show that I want to watch on TV, I love TV, and I'm loving what's on there, but the show I really want to watch isn't on there. And so... We just wrote that, and luckily it's worked out so far, so fingers crossed. <laughs> but you have no, I mean, you have no, you can't think about that kind of stuff too hard. It'll drive you crazy. But I'm hoping that the genre fans uh, do embrace, do embrace the sort of old school approach to it. That it's okay that it's not scaring them every second, that it slows down and gets, and you get to know these people. I mean, I'm hoping that that, that works for, for everyone. That's the, that's the goal. Can you guys talk a little bit about the casting and what you were looking for with your leads? I mean, I mean, the main thing was, I mean, well, there was Winona, which was like the first big piece that slotted in to place, and she just is someone we wanted right away, and then, and she's Winona, and then that, and that sort of gave the show a bit of an identity right away, and then, and then it, the big thing was just finding these kids, and with that, you just audition the hell out of everybody who's interested. So they said like. 20,000 things that makes me excited about this show. Right. So it's, it's, it's one question before, before I go there, I was just going to ask about Georgia recognition factor, but that has nothing to do with their interview. It's, um, there's a couple little like, and I don't think it's too spoilers to say this. I want to say it was like episode five or six. Um, they're in like a, a high school gym and they make reference to the town next to them and they say Jonesboro. And oh. I like freaked out because I, I knew that they were filming in Stockbridge um, at that point. And <laughs> I grew up in Jonesboro and I was like, every, I love everything about this. And it feels like it was made for me. And literally they just mentioned my hometown is like an inside joke. <laughs> so um <laughs> But aside from that, I mean, uh, so much of the outdoor stuff is shot at Stone Mountain. So okay. if you're familiar with kind of the the area over there, um, I mean, woods all kind of look like woods. Yep. But uh, but that that was all shot over there. Um, so yeah, it's uh, not not uh, a lot of places that scream Georgia. But if you if you know where to look for it, you can see it. Well, I just, I just, because a lot of the stuff that they they talk about, just like you could kind of feel when you're being talked down to as kids, immediately right. knew exactly what they were talking about. Um, exactly. And and the whole idea of being authentic. And I was also kind of surprised on the range of references they made. They did even reference Goonies, which when I was a kid, it 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 was like this weird combination of like, oh, fun, fun, but there's actual real danger, you know? Exactly. It, it's kind of weird in the same movie when some guys like. Jaws of death that are plastic teeth hold people up is the same movie when you're afraid for chunk and there's an actual dead body in a in an ice cream cooler. So, <laughs> um, no, I'm a uh, I'm super excited. Also, the other thing that blew my mind was watching E. T. with John Carpenter music. Hello, what right? a difference that would make. That's yeah. so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It was, uh, they were, I could just listen to them talk forever. They were, you know, just going back and forth. It was a little bit of a challenge transcribing that because you can't really tell the difference between Matt and Ross. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, their voices sound identical as well. Um, and they got that brother yes. thing where they just kind of talk over each other. Yeah, they just tag each team other's it. sentences. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was this thing, you know, when we went to set, they were, they were actually filming the finale and the scene that we, we saw them shoot was actually used in the pilot episode. So that was kind of interesting to see, but, um, 
you know, none of us really had any idea other than, you know, this kind of brief description of what the show was going to be. We didn't really know what to expect. And, and now having seen it, I have like a thousand more questions for them. (laughs) And I just, I want to see, I want to, I just want to talk to them about it because it's, it's everything that I was excited that it would be, uh, when I was on set and it's, it was, Uh, Oh, my God. Everyone has to watch it. It's the best thing ever. So high marks for Stranger Things. I also (laughs) loved how they called Netflix a book. It's always there when you want it. I never thought of it that way, but I thought that was a pretty powerful analogy. So, yeah, you know, it was funny when I was interviewing the the little boys in this, they made that same analogy. They're like, because uh, I had asked them what their favorite episode uh, of the eight was to film. And they're like, you know, it all is it's all one story. It's all like a book. You can't really pick your your favorite chapter of the book. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting way to, to look at it too, looking at series on Netflix as, as books. Always there when you want it. And it, you know, it kind of made yeah. me realize something about myself too, just in terms of how like, and it was triggered by what they were talking about. Binge watching is like a huge issue for me. I'm a really bad watcher of television. Be like, oh, I guess I'll wait to see what happens next week. There's, there's like, cause, cause I always like to see the story. That's one of the things I love about movies is you kind of have the whole arc typically, in one movie and right. you know, two hours or three and a half hours if you're Michael Bay, but, <laughs> but still like, it, you know, it's, but, but that's weirdly, like I just got through binge watching, uh, um, the sixth season of game of Thrones specifically because I didn't want to get into it and then have to wait a week <laughs> for the next episode. Yeah. So it's, but it is interesting. Like it's, it's weird. Cause I feel like I like have like a weird guilt thing about that. But the moment those guys call Netflix like a book, I feel better about it. I'm like, Oh, I'm this way because I'm very sophisticated. There you go. It's high yeah. I'm a big reader. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I have a couple more interviews with the cast members. Actually, I just uh, just pol- uh, published one today with the little girl that plays Eleven, uh, Millie Bobby Brown. And then I have uh, the Duffer Brothers one will be up um, probably the day after this podcast. And then I have one with the little boys that will be up this week as well. Um, so definitely check all of those out because, like I said, the kids are really, really amazing. And um, there'll be some some fun little photos from when I was on set that I'll be pushing out via Twitter and Instagram too. It's so. very exciting because the weird thing about Netflix is because they bring out so many different shows, you know, at so many different times. Um, it's kind of exciting that uh, you in theory were right there at the ground floor before this thing turned into a household name. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah. I was there with two other journalists. So, and you know, I got to, to sit there and, and play D and D with two of the little boys on the set <laughs> and like, you know, watch them kind of like geek out over things from the eighties that were like toys that I played with in the eighties and, and kind of explain everything on set. It was just, it was so surreal and so cool. And it's uh, literally one of the, one of my most favorite moments out of anything I've done career wise thus far, just because, you know, I've ended up loving the show so much and getting to have that experience before, you know, it's, it really got huge, which I predict it will, um, was just really special. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And I love that somehow Stockbridge where I'm currently staying tied into it, which is next to your hometown. What are the odds of that? Stockbridge, not usually a a haven of a film activity. Not usually. I'm not exactly sure where they filmed over there. I know that um, a lot of times when I was going uh, back to visit my parents, I would see the the ST sign getting off the highway at 138. Oh right, yep. ST was their was their code name. So that's right where we're staying, right off the 138, actually. So my old stomping ground. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, well, cool, cool. I it's the the transition now into the box office. Uh, segment, which takes me from something I loved into something I was like, eh. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) The Secret Life of Pets uh, finally knocked Finding Dory out of the number one spot at the box office. And it was a hit with not only moviegoers, but critics alike. It brought in a total of $103.2 million uh, on top of a $75 million budget. So already considered a big success. Legend of Tarzan came in second with a distant $20.6 million for its second weekend, bringing its total to $81.4 million. And that's with a budget of one eighty or $180 million to make. So it's it's still got a little ways to go. Yay. 
Um, coming in third was Finding Dory with uh, 20.3 for its fourth weekend, and that makes it now at uh, 422.6 million domestically. So it's now surpassed Captain America Civil War as the biggest movie of 2016, and it's on track to become the highest grossing animated film of all time, breaking the North American record that is currently held by Shrek 2. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and coming in fourth, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates got $16.6 million with a $33 million budget. And in fifth place was The Purge Election Year in its second week of release with $11.7 million. Wow. Wow, I, uh, I was listening to uh, Mark Marin has a cameo at the beginning of Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. So I was like, oh, that'd be fun if that did well for him. But I, it looks well, it looks like it'll probably... It's probably doing about what it was expected to do, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've made half of it back. And I'm, I'm sure between, you know, another weekend at the box office and, you know, other, I'm, I'm assuming that's been released overseas and, and DVD or, or on-demand sells, it'll probably, they'll, they'll at least break even on it. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine. Oh, so Secret Life of Pets. Secret Life of Pets. We saw this together. We did. We did. <laughs> so I had very high expectations of this because I remember when the trailer first came out, I want to say it was last year. I like I was so in love with it. I thought it was like the greatest idea ever. It looked so cute. So many big names in this. Uh, Louis C.K., Eric Stone Street, um, Kevin Hart, Jenny Slate, Ellie Kempler, Lake Bell, Dana Carvey. You know, the list goes on. Um, such a great team of people behind it. But I think my expectations were a little too high. Well, it did that thing where it showed a lot of the bits in the trailer. Yeah. Where at one point did. where at one point when I was watching the movie, I'm like, ooh, wow, this is like almost shot for shot what I've already seen. And it's like almost like a five minute chunk kind of at the beginning of the movie that sets up the world. Right. Which, yeah. Um I well so I get I, I'm not quite sure how to jump into this. We we can kind of have a discussion because I, I I was it's about what I expected to be honest with you, because right. th there's a thing that happens with 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 that side of the animation spectrum, and I don't know what it is. That sometimes they'll make really good movies, and this is now Illumination, right? Which was formerly DreamWorks. What happened? Right. Okay, so DreamWorks has got this thing where they'll make these beautiful films, but they kind of forget about story. With the glaring exception being, at least for me, How to Train Your Dragon, which right. I thought was a fantastic film top to bottom. And then actually Megamind, I thought was a good time as well. But um, but usually they're really good for a laugh, like uh, Despicable Me 2. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. It wasn't a great film, but it was pretty damn funny. But there's another thing, honestly, and I don't know. It's like, I, I think that Minion short at the beginning of... That, that they showed us like minions yeah. i think that for me at least it like totally undermined the movie i think those the minions are like cute they're adorable i think like they're like gummy bears they're they're delicious right. if you have a few but if too many of them they they just really start to make your stomach hurt so exactly I, exactly I, I was not into that short at all and then the very first thing when that showed the illumination logo at the beginning of uh, secret life of pets was another minion and i was like get off the screen like <laughs> <laughs> i've seen five minutes of you i've yeah, seen enough <laughs> it's enough that's enough and i don't want to see you again uh, and then of course one of the animals dressed like a minion later anyways okay uh so what was what was the thing you didn't like about it i don't know it's um you know someone in someone i know that saw it kind of described it as a ripoff combination of toy story and garfield and i thought that was kind of interesting if you kind of think about it it is kind of a similar story to Toy Story, um, but with pets instead of toys and, you know, a, a couple other changes here and there. But, you know, the idea of like the toys going to rescue the other toys and that's kind of essentially what this yeah. was, pets going to rescue pets. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I just expected it to be a little bit, I, I wanted it to be more intelligent than it was. And I get that it's a kid's movie and it's an animated movie, but I just expected something that didn't make me roll my eyes as much as I rolled my eyes. Oh, geez. So, so that's a high mark for eye rolling. Yes. That's I, a five for eye rolling. It's a five for eye rolling. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll kind of jump on that bag wagon, to be honest with you. There was, there was an opportunity for that movie to be much more powerful emotionally. 
Um, yeah. Especially with, uh, I already forget the name of the, the dog, the big dog that was his roommate. Um, oh, yeah. that I know it was voiced by Eric Stone Street. Yeah. It, yeah, the, the big dog. There, there, was a, there was a real opportunity, I think, for that kind of B story to have a real emotional impact. But the way it was presented in the film, it was kind of... It was kind of like wedged in like, oh, we need yeah. to We need to insert something sad. And that was the thing I think that ultimately left me a little bummed is it was like, ah, it's got to stick to a certain formula and we've got to have some emotional pull. So it's not just all joke, 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 joke. So let's insert right. this. But it kind of felt out of nowhere. It was like, all right, now the movie's got to stop for a second for this beat and then we'll go back to how it was. And then they just like breezed right over it. I mean, yep. the whole the whole concept or the whole thing with with losing a pet. I mean, that is such that's losing a family member. That's losing. Right. And, and from a pet's perspective, the same way. Um, I I can't. I, there was so much of a opportunity there for them to do something that was almost comparable to like the first five minutes of up. Yeah, that could have been really just like heart wrenching. And they just they breezed right over it like it was just I, there wasn't even really a point of it being in there i i totally agree and there there was it wasn't set up anywhere it just kind of came out of nowhere after that really weird why am i watching all of these hot dogs sing and dance sequence i was a right. little bit confused by that <laughs> um but uh, i mean it was fun visually i th- but still i'll admit that i was entertained there were enough gags in there and and enough character interplay where i was kind of amused i thought that um and it's no fault of Kevin Hart's, but I thought his character was a little too one note yelly, which yeah. which I think started. There was a few bits where I thought it was funny, and I'm like, oh no, he's going to start yelling it again. And like, there's a certain moment where it's like, it just because it's a little white fluffy bunny doesn't mean it's going to be hilarious that every joke is screamed. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but I, you know, I, uh, I, I think uh, I, I, it, I didn't really have super high expectations for it. But I will say that I love the character design and I yeah. and I love the kind of the palette and the energy of the film. I would agree. I think visually it looked it looked great. I think the concept at the very basic form is a, is a great concept. Um, I think we all kind of we all kind of wonder, you know, what our dogs do when we aren't around. And I think we even give them personality characteristics in our mind that, you know, isn't what they are at all you know we we think oh they're being sassy or oh they're doing this when they really just they don't care so it's (laughs) you know we kind of assign these personality characteristics to our pets and i think that you know having a movie kind of explore all of that it's it's just something fun i just i just didn't have fun with this (laughs) yeah no i think i think that's fair it did kind of go away from that really fast and it kind of turned into this grandiose adventure of sewers and all these crazy animals and stuff and it's like oh this isn't quite what i thought but but it kind of kept it kind of kept me in. I mean, it also helped for me. Louis C.K. is seriously one of my f- absolute favorites, and I don't even mean just in comedy. He's just like got one of those brains. Whenever I hear him talk, I'm like, Shh, I want to hear this. This is going to be I good. Know. So same here. <laughs> so so the fact that he was a dog and he was talking a lot, I'm like, Aha, you know, even if this movie's horrible, I get to listen to Louis C.K. be a dog. That was yeah. that was fun. <laughs> that was enjoyable. I just love his voice. It's yeah. just like. He's something about me, like, I just relax when I hear his voice. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I know I'm going to laugh. I know I'm going to smile. I'm just, like, at peace. You know what it is? He's always authentic. Even if he's he saying something totally unpleasant, you're like, ah, he's got a point. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I, just, I just love me some Louis. So, so that probably helped kind of keep me on board. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I even like the design of the little, the little pink dog who, is, who had a crush on Louis' character. I, you know... All in all, I think if I was a kid, I'd be super, I would have loved it because of all the slapstick stuff. But as a grown up, it didn't quite, it, it, I think the thing that bums me out is it was good enough that it missed a really good opportunity to really resonate emotionally. I agree. And it, 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 it if you'll excuse the pun, screwed the pooch on that one. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. So, you know, I uh, have to wonder, like, you know, cause this is a, you know, a, a former DreamWorks production, um, you kind of have to wonder, like, what if Pixar did this? What would it be like? I, you know? I, I think that's a good question. But Pixar also did The Good Dinosaur, which was not. I didn't a, see that. It was it was a very it, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it was like just very pedestrian. They also did Cars 2, which was horrible. You know, I also think like Pixar and I didn't see Cars 2 either, but I think Pixar sets the bar so high that even like 
a movie for Pixar that's not great is still like better than most animated films. I totally felt that way until Cars 2 came out. And then, <laughs> Fair and, enough. And, and then they kind of had a weird run of Cars 2, The Monsters University, which I also thought was not good. And then uh, That Good Dinosaur. Um, but no, I, I think you're totally right. I, like, I, actually, a quick aside, what is your favorite Pixar film? Up. Up, without hesitation. Up. Without hesitation. I'm going to go Wall-E. Which sometimes oh, is no, Wally. Yeah. Is oh. it, well, Wally's my number one, and, and The Incredibles are way up there too. And then Toy Story 2. All right, we don't have to go through the yeah, whole no, list. All of but. Them. Toy Story 3, I cried like a baby. And I had like a five year old sitting next to me at the theater that was like staring at me, like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and there I was, like, however old I was at the time, late 20s, just like bawling my eyes out. That's, and that's awesome. The kid's like, lady, none of this is real. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Like, they don't understand. They didn't grow up with Toy Story. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so, okay. So, I'll still ask the question. Were you ever bored? Yes. You were bored. Yeah. There was points at which I was like, when is this going to be over? Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's fair. So, you'd give that what? The boredom scale? I'll give it um, I'll give it a four for boredom. Four out of five. So, pretty yeah. pretty damn bored. Wow. Yeah. I'd, I'd give it like a... I'd give it a... I'd give it a two. You're going to go two and a half? I'd go two and a half. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing that for me. Because I, I, I was stuck between two and three, and <laughs> you made that possible. So, all right. Well, overall, overall, what do you give it? Overall, I'm going to give it a... Uh, I'm going to give it a two. It's going to get an at from me. Oh, wow. This is, uh, is going to be news, because I'm going to get an addle. It's going to get oh. an addle from me. This is the first time... I've ever rated something higher than you. Yeah, um, I'm surprised. First I, time for everything. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, you know, ultimately I had a good time. I thought the energy was fun. And, and you know, being a visual guy, I, w- I found myself really paying attention to all the visual choices they made. And, and I was never once like, what a horrible, what a horrible decision. And I will also admit, and I think sometimes it got kind of gimmicky. But there was a few times where I'm like, you know what? Right now, I kind of wish I was watching this in 3D just just for that alligator's nose. Just for that alligator's nose to be in my face right now. You know, I didn't think about that, but I think that would have been a good choice. Yeah, because yeah. there, there, were, there were many times when it was doing stuff close to the camera. And I'm like, you know what? I bet in 3D this it's either going to I will vomit all over the person in front of me or have a great time. <laughs> it depends exactly. on how good the 3D is. <laughs> so after all that, the secret life of pets gets an at from Emma and an addle from the likes of me. So there you have it, number one movie in America. It, we should have we should ask a kid what they think. They're like, get over yourselves, you pretentious buttholes. <laughs> it was an angry we rabbit totally and should. a dog. Yeah. <laughs> so we're now gonna uh, do do a do another atlas first, kind of interrupt and go to this uh, conversation with Carrie Burns about lights out. And see what her thoughts are with the official Atlas review. Emma, don't break anything while we're gone. Okay, I'll try not to. So, uh, as threatened, we're now hanging out with Carrie Burns, the founder and colleague of mine at Atlanta Movie Tours. Because she, unlike me, actually followed through and saw Lights Out last week. I did. I did. She did. It was it was scary. <laughs> I'm, I'm still uh, sleeping with the lights on. No, that's, that's not true. Oh. That's not true. Nice. Well... Before we jump into that, is there anything you want to talk about with Atlanta Movie Tours, oh. given that, you know, there might be a few things going on with Atlanta Movie Tours? Right. There's always exciting things. Well, I would say probably um, the biggest thing is that we have our, our first official sales manager, and that is um, Patty Davis, co-founder of Atlanta Movie Tours, has returned, Ooh. and she is sales managering. Uh, so the custom <laughs> tour sales actually have an owner now which is nice and that's um very yeah, exciting very exciting and then we also have uh we're sponsors of the 48 hour film festival which for those of you who are not aware of it it is um the uh the projects are all uh, all the films are shot in 48 hours and they were just i think they just wrapped up a couple of days ago they basically i think shot over the weekend and then Next week at Landmark Theaters, Atlanta Midtown, which um, is over there. I think that's the run- one there off of Monroe, if I'm right, is the uh, they show it there and they show all of them. I think I think, Gabe, 
who is the city producer, Gabe Bardell, is this Atlanta city producer. I believe he said there were 90 projects. So it's actually like Monday through Thursday, they show all these. And our wonderful uh, trailer done by you, Jakai, gets shown beforehand. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's always a lot of fun. I mean, it gets a lot of cheers. So there's a lot of people, especially a lot of these uh, filmmakers who know about Atlanta Movie Tours. So it's always pretty exciting. Well, and I think, uh, I think actually technically, even though I didn't do it all in one shot, but I think technically this newest promo would, would qualify because I think all in all it was done in 48 hours or Oh, less. you know what? You're probably right. Yeah. But then again, we're going to walk you through, and this is for the first time ever, the Atlas media review. Oh, from, from a guest, guest perspective. perspective instead of you and the lovely Emma. Um, not that you're not lovely, but not quite as lovely. I, <laughs> I am not as lovely as Emma. Uh, yeah. So, well, let's 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 kick this thing off. So really fast, uh, just to give uh, people an idea of what this film. Here's a quick synopsis of the movie. Um, when Rebecca Teresa Palmer left home, she thought that her childhood fears were behind her. As a young girl growing up, she was never really sure of what was real when the lights went out at night. Now, her little brother, Martin Gabriel Bateman, is, is experiencing the same unexplained and terrifying events that jeopardized her safety and sanity. Holding a mysterious attachment to their mother, Maria Bello, the supernatural entity has returned with a vengeance to torment the entire family. So, uh, you know, just just put you on the spot, <laughs> scale of one to five. Uh, how would you rate that five synopsis? Five being good? No. <laughs> yes, um, five, oh, five being good. No, okay, the synopsis is, is pretty spot on. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, all right. On a scale of one to five, five being absolute eye-gouging boredom, how bored oh, were you? Oh, so you flip it. Okay, so five is not good. Okay. Right, yeah. If you're, if you're five-alarm boredom, that means you are super bored. Okay, no, I was not. I was not bored in this movie. It was... It was um, there were certainly, um, like a lot of horror flicks, you can poke holes through it, but I have, to, I have to tell you, it was, um, for, for what it is, it is spot on and it, it's, not, it's okay. not boring. Uh, the length of it is pretty good, which again, I think one of my arguments with a movie like this, um, is if they, if they try to drag it out, that's when they, they lose it. So this was, um, it kept a pretty decent pace. So I, I would probably give it. I don't know that I can give it a one, but I'd give it, I'd probably give it a two. Okay. Yeah. All right. So kept, kept you engaged the entire time. Now, now the second one, I roll engage. So horror films probably can often make you roll your eyes a few times. Oh yeah. So one to five, five being the highest, like eyeballs rolling out of your head. How often were you rolling your eyes in this flip? Um, three, three. Okay. So middle of the yeah. pack. Okay, what middle, what middle, yeah. what caused your score to be a three? Oh my gosh, maybe even like two point. Can I half scale? So oh like goodness, em, yeah, Emma sorry. does that all the time. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. It's all right. I, I do listen. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm not good at remembering the, the scales. Um, no, you know, um, it's just you know, I want to be really careful because I, I do think a lot, I think a lot of people are going to see this, especially with Maria Bello in it. And you've got uh, Billy Burke, who sadly, um, spoiler, he's not in it for very long, but it, um, I, you know, I think it's just that it's clearly like this creature that is, uh, you know, in the shadows, you know, it's basically the synopsis of it. And yet it's like, sometimes it can get you in this shadow, but then it doesn't get you in this shadow. And why can it get you under, you know, from this perspective, but not from this perspective, uh, yeah, those kind of things where it's right. almost like it's, um, it's a consistency in, in this, uh, the rules, darkness. the rules get a little slippery. The rules get very slippery. It's a little like the gremlins thing where you're like, okay, wait, so there's the shadow and it's not fed after midnight or no water after midnight. <laughs> so you can't, you're just sitting there kind of like, all right, all right, I get it. But, Nevertheless, regardless of the rules, it's still, you know, it's still got that kind of chills and thrills factor to it, which, um, you know, it makes you jump. I mean, there's really no question. The movie's going to make you jump. So who, who, uh, how are the performances? Who, who delivered the best one? Um, I was pretty, I was pretty impressed by, um, by this Teresa Palmer, who I just, I'm, I'm not very familiar with. Obviously I'm, I'm familiar with Maria Bello. Um, she did well. She did, she did really well. Um, she's, uh, she's pretty nuts. And, um, 
<laughs> and, it, and it's got a really good end. So it's not, you know, again, it's kind of, yeah, she's good. Uh, but I've, I've pretty much always, I'm trying to think of some of the things that she was more notable in, but, you know, she's got a pretty longstanding um, history of film. And uh, so she definitely did not disappoint. But I will say that the, um, the Teresa Palmer, Rebecca, the main character, she, um, she was great. She was really great. And the funny thing in it is that I don't know how much they really look alike. I haven't done like a side by side or if maybe by chance, I don't think they're related at all, but her and Maria Bello in the movie were really well cast um, as, as mother and daughter. So, you know, you almost, they, they even, they favored themselves, each other. So it was, it was good. Okay, cool. All right, so it sounds like overall it was it was a good this kind of movie. There's I don't think there's much of a Georgia recognition factor. Is it? I think it was filmed in Sweden. Yeah, no, this was so, yeah, this was definitely not not Georgia film. Do you ultimately regret the time you spent watching this film? Yeah, it was worth watching. I don't know that I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> right. So the moment of truth on a scale of one to five, five being the highest. Uh, what do you rate this thing in the Atlas Review official? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go four. I'll I'll go four. Wow, full four. That's an Atla. That's a very commendable score. Now, is that an Atla just overall in terms of film history, or specifically in the horror film genre? No, specifically in the horror film genre. I, I right. bump it down to a three and a half overall. It's I don't know. I'm gonna be curious to see how it how it does. I, I don't know how much coverage it's gonna get, but well, when I saw it was rated PG thirteen, I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's. Yeah, like whenever a horror movie tries to go like, we're going to be scary and it's PG-13, to me, it just means like a lot of people are going to look in a closet and then the music's going to get intense. So they're going to open the door fast and oh, there wasn't anything there. And then that's going to happen 98 more times in the film. But does- and, that, and that's what I can that's what I can safely say. I actually forgot about the PG-13 rating. The only way that it stood out as being PG-13 is the nakedness. <laughs> right. like, like it was very clear that people were naked, but they, sh- they didn't show anything. And so that really became a little bit more apparent um, in a couple of scenes. And that was the only time I really remembered it because they did have, they, they had, I think just enough, you know, it didn't go into the full gore that it would have if it had been R. I, I'm, I'm, I was very surprised they went with PG 13 for this. I, I don't know why they made that decision, but um, it's definitely going to, you know, it's, it's spooky. It's got that thriller aspect without that, you know, continuously letting you down, building you up with the music, letting you down. That's, right. it's, it doesn't really do that, yeah. which is why I give it a better rating. Well, that's, uh, to be honest, it's a, it's a much higher score than I anticipated. A three and a half to four, an, uh, an Adela to an Atla is, uh, I think that's pretty impressive and really high marks. Well, you've got to remember too, though, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, you know, it's like if you look at my Yelp ratings, I'm like a high-end raider. Oh. <laughs> You're a so, high-end raider. Take this with a take this with a grain of salt. Right. I, mean, I'm, I, I rate highly just based on effort, and that's that's all that matters. Yay! You made a movie. You know. Nice. So. Well, it's very good of you, Carrie. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to to be our first ever guest atlas reviewer this is a big deal, and I'm I'm very excited Yay. you could be a part of it. You are welcome, Jakai. Thanks for having me. So uh, that's uh, that's Carrie's thoughts on lights out. So I think I broke everything around me while you were gone. Well, did you get any packing done? Did you get any packing done? No, I got no packing done. It's still not looking good. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> Thank uh, you. People keep telling me that. <laughs> Everyone I tell that I like have so much left to do, they're like, "I believe in you." Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad somebody does because right now I have I have no belief in myself. Well, great, <laughs> great. Well, you can use the power of everybody else's belief. Exactly. I'll take the positive energy. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, So we have a lot of cool stuff coming up before the end of the month Uh, next week. uh, Well, we'll we'll have one more one more podcast before I head out to Comic-Con. But then at Comic-Con, we have so much cool stuff coming. Interviews from all the CW shows, uh, Mr. Robot, which uh, starts back on July 13th, which is tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this. As soon as it comes out. Time travel. Um, time travel. Yes. Um, really, really great series. If you haven't seen it on USA Network, highly, highly recommend it. Um, 
So we'll have that coming. And then, of course, Project Cosplay at Joystick Game Bar, 9 o'clock on July 21st. The theme for this month will be Ghostbusters, which I still haven't seen that movie. I'm hearing a bunch of really confusing things about it. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that on yeah. the next podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Let, um, let us open. Let us crack that egg next yeah, let's, week. Let's crack that egg next week. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's all coming up. And do you have anything to tease? Oh, gosh. Just that uh, my just a baby, just a baby. Yeah, my life is going to be <laughs> upside down any minute now. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe next week. Who knows? Maybe it'll be the earliest appearance from a person on a podcast ever. And that is completely unsubstantiated. And I don't know if that's even a thing True at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But there's a very good chance that a very young person will be making noise. And uh, during next week's uh, podcast. Well, I can't wait. Which is mind bending <laughs> to me. It is. Yeah. Um, so, no, that's uh, I think that's all we've got. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week for episode 16 of the Atlas podcast. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, editor at fanbolt.com. Uh, we're about to get our driver's license. My name is uh, Chikai Mickelson, creative director of Atlanta Movie Tours. <laughs> I. We are. We are. Sweet 16. Sweet. Oh, my gosh. Our super sweet 16 party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, uh, we'll see you guys next week when we're 17. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be. That one's going to be great. That's when we're going to be really mad at our parents for no particular exactly. reason. Yeah. Lots of angst. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys.